This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Door closed. Yeah. So is mine. What do you think's on the other side? <laughs> What's behind it? Probably a psych a taut psychological thriller. Oh, good. Mine is Probably. the hallway to my bedroom, but you have a oh, psychological. Well, <laughs> no, there's the hallways to everywhere else in my house. Oh, that's what they say about hallways. They all lead somewhere. All hallways lead to Rome, is what they say. Welcome to Overdue Podcast. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. What is a road but a big open air hallway? <laughs> Whoa. I was think I heard something the other day. We're going to talk about Behind Closed Doors by B.A. Paris in just a second. I was listening to a podcast the other day where people were talking about whether or not a highway is a shortcut. Do you think a highway is a shortcut, Andrew? Yeah. I mean, I, some of it depends on context but if you're talking about like pre like eisenhower era highway expansion then yeah like what they are literally doing most of the time is cutting a straight line between Mm. a few different points rather than sort of winding and wending yeah the wendigo yeah well because it's straight and then also the way that they're constructed so that you've got off ramps and on ramps and there's you know there's a lot of lanes and they're constructed to let you go faster than other roads so yeah it's it's a it's a shortcut i don't think it's what you probably traditionally would think of and it never feels like a shortcut because everyone's using it and it takes forever but because we don't we only know highways we don't know what it was like before that's true. Yeah. Man, dropping some wisdom this week on Overdue Podcast. Andrew. I'm so wise. All the roads around our house are torn up. <laughs> All the like, regular, hey guys. Not the highways, they, just the street they, roads. No, just the regular roads, and they keep tearing them up, and then they tear out every couple days. I notice a new one that's torn up, and it's like, guys, why don't you like fix, why don't you finish one before you I've go tearing the next one up? Like, hey, come on, us. am I right? Yeah, this <laughs> happened to us <laughs> several <laughs> months <laughs> ago. <laughs> I know, Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld. I think there's probably a very good efficiency of labor reason where it's like, well, one day, five days of tearing it up and one day of putting it down. Am I right? But like, that's how I live my life. <laughs> <laughs> but out here, we're just living the inconvenience. So welcome listeners who are living the inconvenience with us each week. One of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. Andrew, as I said, what did you read? I read Behind Closed Doors by B.A. Paris. Great. It was a... now. You tell me, does the B.A. stand for bad attitude or does it stand for something else? (laughs) It's my favorite wrestler from the 90s. Well, that's the B.A. Brackus from the A-Team. Oh, is that what that stands for? Yeah, that stands for bad attitude. It was it was gonna stand for a cuss, but oh no! But network it was for TV, network TV, so they made an attitude. FCC won't let me be. Um, this was a Patreon recommendation from Tiffany. Thanks, Tiffany. Tiffany said uh, that they listened to it on Audible, and it was chilling. It sort of novelized some of my darkest fears, so would definitely love to hear your take and banter about it. Keep the great shows coming. That wasn't a part about the book. That was just about us. <laughs> Uh, I had not heard about this book 
before Andrew, and I had a hard time Googling it at first without using the author's name because I also found a New York Times review for a book about Georgian England, a book called Brexit, colon, behind closed doors, Mm -hmm. and like 12 other perhaps thrillery novels called behind closed doors. I mean, it's a common phrase, so. Yeah, yeah. Is is it you had not heard of this either, am I correct? I no, I had not. Okay, okay. Um so the the BA does not stand for bad attitude. <laughs> um and I I believe it stands for Bernadette Ann, as I was able to find in interviews. That's fine, I guess. Well, and I think that's her opinion of it too, which is why, why she goes by BA. Yeah. Huh? She like didn't like being called Bernie when she was growing up. Um and she wanted a little anonymity, so even Paris is not her last name. This is from a Goodreads interview. I came up with Paris for two reasons. One, because when I moved to France, I lived in Paris and I love it. Second, <laughs> When I was little, I used to take dancing lessons at a place called the Paris School of Dancing. I thought it was so exotic. My teacher was called Miss Paris. Of course, years later, I found out that she wasn't really called Miss Paris. It was just a pseudonym. Whoa. So the cycle continues. Pseudonym eating its own tail. Yes. Um, Paris was born in 1958 in England. Um, okay. What? What just were you going to say? Paris, yes. England. <laughs> Um, spent most of her adult life in France, um, worked in like finance and as a teacher. And then, uh, I don't believe she, uh, was like working in the workforce as she was raising like five kids. But then after that, uh, after they like went off to college, she, one of her daughters encouraged her to enter a Sunday times contest to write an 80,000 word novel. Um, this is not that novel, but writing that one got her going and she was like well i just i guess i write novels now um i think she also currently or has recently taught at like a business english class like a business english school in france so like you're in france define for me the relationship between the words business and english (laughs) and that Yeah. What does it mean? I think it means like you're in France and you love speaking French, but you have to talk to dumb Americans, so you better learn some English. So oh, so this can... is English for use in business. Yes, I don't think there's a separate subsect of English called business English. Not that there's I know of. There's definitely like human resources English. Yeah, but not like get down to business English. That's something else. That's street English, I suppose. Um She said that uh, her lifelong love of books began when she was bedridden as a child with chicken pox um, and read everything from C.S. Lewis to Agatha Christie to Jane Austen. Um, I don't... Andrew, when did you start reading? Like, why did you start reading reading? I mean, my first book that I read myself was Green Eggs and Ham, and I read it because my parents were really invested in me being literate. Fair, but is that but like as far as, I like, like I reading now? I don't know when I exactly discovered that I liked reading, but I suspect it had something to do with school programs that gave me points for doing it. Yeah, it's probably you can always, it's always easier for me to do something if you get some kind of points for it, <laughs> perhaps personal pan pizzas. Sure, yeah, I remember those years. I remember reading a lot of weird sci fi that I've never heard of since, and so I could never Google it because I don't know what any of it was called. 
Um, but it sure got me those pizzas. And that's it also just made me look and feel like I looked smart, probably. That's the real goal. That's what we're here to do today. Um, Paris has four, not well, three published novels and one forthcoming behind closed doors, the breakdown, bring me back and the dilemma, which is coming out in 2020. Are any of these sequels to behind closed doors? They, as I recall, they are not direct sequels. I think the breakdown is in a similar genre space. Um, I don't know much about bring me back. I do not believe that they are sequels, um, at all. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I don't know. That's why I asked you. (laughs) Um, She said in one interview that, um, you know, that asked her how hard it was to get her first break. And I know that we like to talk about authors that come to, like, their professional careers later in life because everyone's got that book under their bed, right? And it's like whether or not they're going to get in. And she said, when I sent out my first book, I was lucky enough to get a personal reply from one of the agencies I'd sent it to telling me that although they hadn't chosen it, I shouldn't give up trying to get it published. It also included great feedback from some of the agents who had read it, which was a tremendous boost. I then had a couple of false starts with agents who didn't succeed in placing the book or decided not to take me up uh, after all. And then it was in 2014 when this got picked up. So although the road to publication sometimes seemed long and arduous, I feel I was relatively lucky. And that gets to a thing that I have gleaned from a number of her interviews that are like, she's kind of surprised to be here, to have had a, <laughs> like a New York Times bestseller novel. Um, when folks ask her like how she came up with this gripping thriller, um, with, you know, a couple of different reviews have called it, what did, what did the uh, Publisher Weekly call it she in an interview with an unnamed interviewer in the back of the book asked her to describe behind closed doors in five words uh-huh and she said a which is one word dark tense psychological drama okay that's okay so she burnt did burn one of her words on <laughs> a but the other four words fine yeah fine. publishers weekly fine. called it a claustrophobic cat and mouse tale with a grisly gratifying conclusion um and so a lot of people are asking her like how did you plot this out and she's like i just started writing it and it worked out and i'm very fortunate that it worked out um that's the, the next one interviewer asks where did the idea for behind closed doors come from some years ago she says i knew a couple whose relationships seemed perfect on the outside but a couple of little incidents made me wonder if things were different when they were on their own it gave me the idea for a story and behind closed doors was born yeah, that's about... This is your debut novel. How does that make you feel? Even in my wildest dreams, I could never have imagined that Behind Closed Doors would strike a chord with so many people. The response has been amazing and is due in great measure to all those who have taken the time to not only to read my book, but also to review it. So I feel humbly grateful and thrilled that I have written something people want to read. So just happy to be here. Yeah, is her, that's her general her vibe, it and seems good. like. Yeah. Um, so I think the other notes that I have, Andrew, are more like specific to the book. So I would love to kind of get into it and then you could, you know, we could walk through it together and I'll learn about the book and maybe you'll learn something about the book in telling me about it. What do you sure, think? Sure, that sounds like the normal thing. Okay. That we do. Well, hit hit me. <laughs> get, get, <laughs> okay. Give me that. Give me that hot book that we do. Okay, so there are these two people. They're named Jack and Grace. Okay. Grace is the wife and Jack is the husband. Okay. And they have a marriage together. 
when is this set? Modern day. Phones. They have their cell phones. <laughs> okay. Not smartphones, but cell phones. I don't know. There's just cell phones. Okay. Everybody's Nobody calling talks each- about it. She doesn't say, oh, my husband doesn't let me have a phone, so I can't play Angry Birds. She just says, I don't have a, I don't have a cell phone. Oh, wait. But you gave a little extra detail there. Oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? I was just drawing you in one thing at a time. Okay. So their marriage seems perfect. In the first chapter, they're throwing a dinner party for these for Diane and Esther and their husbands. And she's just doing the the housewife, like the stereotypical stay-at-home housewife archetype thing. Okay. Like she's she is immaculately dressed and she's a gracious hostess and she has all the food ready at just the right time and they're very complicated recipes but they're prepared wonderfully and you the reader there's a question like there's a i don't i don't usually give myself time when there's a book with like a little readers like book club (laughs) questionnaire guide at the end of it to read all the thing but the very first question is like when did you realize something was off with jack and grace's marriage and the answer to that question is the first word of the first page like it's not it's not very well hidden what is the first word a i mean i'm not saying i'm not saying like literally I was, i'm just saying is i was making a callback joke you're oh that's a that's a good joke here let me see what it is now because you got me you got me wondering it'd be pretty uh, funny the, oh, the word the classic those, word yeah what what a classic word the the champagne bottle knocks against the marble kitchen counter, making me jump. I glance at Jack, hoping he won't have noticed how nervous I am. That's a, he catches okay. me looking and smiles. Perfect, he says softly. That tells me a lot, actually, about their relationship, mm-hmm. though, in that sentence. That they're like, marble countertops. I've watched Property Brothers. I know those are not cheap. They've got, they're drinking champagne in their home. Something must be going on. They probably like good champagne. She's nervous around him. And he's got We're power. nervous about something. Yeah. Well, okay, sure. She's nervous. And he looks at her and like assesses her in a way that implies he has power. Or possibly he's just trying to reassure her. Possibly. But no, like it's <laughs> the, the later on in the same page. Since joining our circle of friends a month ago, I'm sure she's been told over and over again that Grace Angel, wife of brilliant lawyer Jack Angel, is a perfect example of a woman who has it all, the perfect house, the perfect husband, the perfect life. You don't get that sentence in a book if things aren't actually perfect. Yeah, what Come is on. the book where that is? Come on. The the only book where you get that sentence and it's perfect is if it's someone jealous of someone else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So things are not perfect. Well, things how- are not actually perfect. So the deal is the the book is told in a series of alternating chapters. They go present, past, present, past, present. Past. Wait, hold on. Let me actually finding my table of contents here. Present, past, 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 present. Reading group guide: A conversation with B. A. Paris. Perfect Marriage is an original essay by the author. Recommended reading, reading group questions, the breakdown excerpt about the author copyright. So that's the whole thing. Mostly that, it's the present past thing, though. That table of contents is my favorite part of the song, Hey Ya. When Under 3000 just says present past, present past, <laughs> over and over again. Um, okay, so, and it's, it's, what is the past then? The past is them meeting and the beginning of their relationship and then the unfolding because once you in the present they've been married for like 15 months okay 
so the past cha- the past chapters go back to the beginning of their relationship and their whirlwind courtship and then their marriage and then the fallout after that and just kind of gradually catches you up and i think toward the toward the end you actually get kind of a shuffle where the past storyline like catches up with and then goes past where the present storyline is oh and so one of the past chapters picks up where the last present chapter left off that's clever so i like i I liked that that makes sense um so but okay i I danced around for long enough i've kept you in suspense for longer than the book does Uh (laughs) he is really he is a sociopath basically oh oh he has complete and total control over her life everything that she says and does and is allowed to have like he has control over because as he tells us in a big old info exposition dump as a there was a boy whose dad like beat his mom okay and, like, kept her chained in the basement and the boy eventually like eventually came to enjoy the sounds of her fear and trapped in the basement and then the mom tried to get away one day and the boy killed her. And then when the cops showed up, the boy pinned it on the dad. And now the boy just lives his life wanting to wanting to have total control over some woman who he could keep in fear and, and pain and just kind of sup on it like some kind of emotional vampire. Yeah, basically. OK. Uh, so that's and he's the, the, oh, the boy is him. At the end, he's oh. like that boy. The, and at the end, he's literally like, "Yeah." And the boy was me. <laughs> so, oh, um, so two things jump out at me. One, it doesn't. This it sounds like you're. You said info dump. So it's like, is this whole story like pretty late in the book as like a explanation for his behavior? It's you know that something's going on, and you don't really know what the reasoning for it is, and it's maybe I don't know, like a a little bit. It's it's halfway through the book ish, like give or take some that you finally get this backstory during the pack during a past chapter. So what happens is they meet in a park. Grace is with her sister, Millie, who is significantly younger. Grace is like 32 or 33 and Millie is 17 going on 18 and Millie has Down syndrome. OK. And um and Millie's parents and I'm I'm just like I think you did a little bit of of reading on yeah sort of downs and and maybe like pop cultural pitfalls to to watch for because I know that's always something to to have a discussion about when you find any kind of I don't know dis- portrayal of uh, disability in popular media mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the way the the way the book tells it is you know that. Uh, Grace and Millie's parents didn't really want to have another kid in the first place, but Grace wanted a little sister so badly that they had this kid and then she had Down syndrome and they were already kind of disinclined to be distant. And the fact that it was, you know, it it was going to present more challenges or or like not be, you know, that she wasn't going to be neurotypical made them even further disinvested. But Millie, or, uh, Grace has always loved Millie and has been her primary caretaker sort of for a long time. And um, they've had, they have her placed at a school where she's happy, but you know, she's going to graduate when she turns 18 and uh, Grace is thinking about, okay, what, 
you know, I'm not I'm not with anybody. I'm not married. And usually when I tell guys about, you know, being the primary caretaker for for my sister that we're going to have that we're, we're going to move in together like that usually scares them away and they are not interested in continuing a relationship. So as they're as, as the past chapters open, uh, Grace and Millie are in a park and Millie is sort of dancing and a guy who Grace is pretty sure is going to like make fun of her or ask her to sit down or something comes up and starts dancing like with her. And mm. it's very, it's very sweet. And this guy is Jack and they ha- and and Jack is very, you know, he seems very sweet. He completely understands the dynamic between like Grace and Millie, that, that Grace is very invested in Millie, Millie's well-being and is and feels very responsible for her and really wants to make sure that she's provided for and like and promises listen like we'll uh, we'll buy this big house and we'll she she wants a yellow bedroom more than anything and so we'll make this yellow bedroom she can come live with us and and we'll have kids but Millie will also be there and we'll be a happy family and everyone will be provided for and and great so grace because she has had so much time or so much much trouble like holding on to a relationship or like finding a relationship that's willing to make space for her as well as for Millie. Sure. Is like really, really over the moon about having found this guy who just seems absolutely perfect. Hmm. Um, so they date for like six months and you can already, if, if you know the shape of kind of a, kind of an abuser narrative or, or what an abuser's sort of MO is, you can see the warning signs from, from pretty early on. Like, he complains that she's spending too much time at work and wouldn't it be great if she, you know, if she just stopped working and quit her job and he wants to, he tries to take up most of her free time so she can't really see her friends and stuff anymore. Like he, he's doing this isolating thing it's, that I think is, is pretty typical in, in sort of controlling situations like this. It's been hundreds of episodes since we read the Fifty Shades books. But I am having a lot of thoughts about them right now, mostly because... Well, because he was doing that, but we were supposed to find their relationship like totally above board and charming and stuff. (laughs) Correct. And we were supposed to... So like his backstory in those books was kind of like woven throughout, at least, you know, after the first book, um, which was supposed to contextualize some of his behavior. And then we've compared it to like the relationship portrayed in Twilight, which has a bunch of supernatural reasons why he's a control <laughs> freak about her. Um, but it sounds like, you know, what you've said is like, this is just bad and it's portrayed as out and out bad. Yeah. Um, he's kind of a cartoon character, honestly. She said, uh, Paris said about him, um, that she was proud of cr- having created Grace and Millie, but was a little appalled that she could create, quote, someone as horrible as Jack. She didn't set out to make such a villain, but he just seemed to take over. And then in another interview I found, she said, when I was writing Jack's part, I was Jack. And it was this, as if he was saying, come on, this is not good enough. If you want to get people's imaginations, I've got to be better than this. I've got to be more evil. And she even kind of likened the way the character took over how he was written as like, similar to how he was manipulating grace in the book, which is an interesting comment to make. Yeah, I guess. Um, but it sounds like to you, maybe it read as a little more cartoonish or, or I mean, at it's least just, it's, 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 
a trope. He does he does what he's there to to yeah, do? I yeah. guess if you are trying to write a book, you know, history is is littered with with pop cultural characters and phenomenons that the audience misinterprets like take mm. take your your walter whites or your tyler durden's or your just real bad criminal dirtbags who some <laughs> subsection of the audience is like oh he actually is very cool and i i think this behavior is worth imitating in my own life yeah there's so if you're yes. trying to write an antagonist where there is no no way at all for the audience to even a little bit kind of get on their side. This is how you would write them is that sure. they would just be completely self-aware, like unrepentant mustache twirling <laughs> evil. Well, and so, that's what Jack is. OK, so does the book what you've told me so far is that he is sort of preying on Grace's circumstance that like. She is in a place where because of Millie, she is worried that she's ever going to be in a relationship. This is in the past, obviously. But is there any like lip service paid to him as a charismatic dude that wins her over? Or is it mostly that he is like accommodating? I mean, he, he is very charismatic and seems very caring and he seems very into Millie and just like... And providing for and and caring for both of them. Um, Really, I mean, the the, my main criticism of the book, I guess, is that and and there was a review that I that I read that I think reflected this as well. But just like I read this really quickly is definitely a page turner like you, you do want to find out what happened next. But everything is is pretty delivered, pretty like dryly and perfunctorily. If that's is that a word, that might be a word. Perfunctorily, yeah, um, sure. <laughs> everything's very dry and perfunctory. I guess it's very matter of fact. Okay, and you're getting every like a hundred percent of everything from Grace's first person, which sometimes works and sometimes does not. Like I highlighted just a couple of of examples of yeah. like what the prose in the book is like. So I I complained a little bit about exposition earlier. Um this is in the very first chapter Jack telling, you know, their dinner guests a sanitized version of <clears throat> of how they met and and about their relationship. I must admit that at 40 years old I'd begun to despair of ever finding the perfect woman, but as soon as I saw Grace, I knew she was the one I'd been waiting for. I must admit that at 40 years old yeah, well, that's I'm going to start every time anybody asks me a question about anything. I was like, I must admit that at 33 years old, I will have my burger medium rare. Please. That's, that's a weird that's a that, to me. That's a circumstance where it is a thing that people do, but it doesn't feel like a thing that people do in stories. And so it 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 doesn't jive with with always what is interesting to read. Well, like, no, I, I, I don't know that I agree. I think it's a thing people only do in stories when they're trying to. I, I, I must admit, as a five eight girl with <laughs> short brown hair and blue eyes, that I am really digging my high school experience. <laughs> like what book are you talking about? No, that's just, a that's a book I want to read. It's just, it is. 
information that the author dumps, it's like one, it's one level above just having a paragraph that says, this is what this character looks like, but it's below everything else. Like it's the, it's the easiest way to fix that problem and try and drop that stuff in. Fair. And I hadn't thought about, I wasn't thinking about the fact that earlier you said it's her first person. So that can read as explicitly less successful in just dialogue from a person where if it's like close third or something where you get a little more access to who he is, then yeah, it maybe doesn't feel as clunky, but yeah. it's so not that, that. That's okay. That, okay. That's how a lot of expository and contextual information is, is dumped on the reader. And then um, here are a couple examples of just the way that the prose normally flows. One that I'll start with one that doesn't work and then show you one that does, but keep in mind that the stuff that doesn't, work or the stuff that feels dry is, is the more common okay. thing. Uh, soon after we were on our way to Heckler's Comb where Cranley Park was every bit as beautiful as Jack had told me it was. It was the perfect setting for a wedding and I was grateful to Giles and Moira, Jack's friends, for allowing us to use their beautiful home. We didn't think any of our guests would mind the 40 minute drive from London to be able to spend the afternoon and evening in such a lovely setting, especially as Giles and Moira, 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 Moira kindly Moira. offered to put up anyone who couldn't face the drive back to London once dinner was over. After a couple of hours spent deciding on a menu for 50, which would be cooked and served by a catering company from London, we left for the hotel Jack had booked uh, while I'd been in Argentina. I couldn't wait for Jack to take me to bed at last, but dinner had to be got through first because we only arrived in time for our reservation. The meal was delicious, but I was impatient to be back in our room. Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. I didn't catch a simile... Or a metaphor in there. Yeah, no, would... there are there are very few of, of those. And I don't <laughs> and I don't say that to mean that a book needs those, but what I didn't get a sense of was like who she is from or how she views the world. Yeah, like it's it's very much just like here here is a series of things that happened. Short short of going to the bathroom, here is a point by point account of everything I did this evening. Okay. Okay. Um, what what is what about the part that you think that worked okay? Okay, so that that is in a past chapter before we know about Jack's deal, you know, while while they're still playing the wed- wedding, obviously, probably picked that up from context. Uh, this is in a present um, chapter where she is trapped in this bedroom. Um, he does not, like, feed her regularly. Um, so she just hears him come from home from work, and sometimes he brings food up, and sometimes he doesn't. So she has basically grown accustomed to just like listening to the sounds that he makes like very mundane sounds. And from that, like putting together a picture of what he is doing. Okay. Um, sure enough, a minute or so later after he's looked through the post, maybe I hear him walk into the kitchen, open the cupboard door, take a glass out, close the cupboard door, walk across to the freezer, open the door, open the drawer, remove the ice cube tray, crack it to release the ice cubes, drop two into the glass, one after the other. I hear him turn on the tap, refill the tray, put it back in the drawer, close the drawer, close the door, pick up the bottle of whiskey from where it stands on the side, unscrew the cap, pour a shot of whiskey into his glass, put the cap back on, replace the bottle on the side, pick up the glass, swirl the whiskey around with the ice. I don't actually hear the sound of him taking his first sip, but I imagine he does because a few seconds always pass before I hear him walking back across the kitchen floor out into the hall and into his study. Uh, it could be that he'll bring me up some food during the evening, but after all I ate at lunchtime, I'm not worried if he doesn't. So again, like very a very dry just list of things happening, but because of the context. context. Yeah. And I guess these must be 
just the thinnest floors <laughs> that regulations will let you get away with because that is a lot to be able to hear all the way through a floor that's, that's but fair. it's a, but it but it does but it works it for does me work, because actually. it is you know the, the, you you're listening through the ears of this woman who is basically in this like sensory deprivation chamber yep yep and absent any other you know sort of sense of, of what he is doing then yeah you're you're listening for just these tiny sounds to suggest what his habits might be because that's all you have and that's how you put it together. Well, like that, I, that I found sort of compelling. I just wish it had been balanced with, yeah, you can't do that. Like that stylistic moment too many times, but it, what you're saying is if it were balanced with other types of, you know, whatever, what is the other version of that when she is happy or, you know, excited? Yeah, or, or just like, I wish it were, I wish it were deployed more strategically instead of all the time, you know? What, <laughs> yeah, what I like about that as just a, as a moment is it takes a thing about living with someone that you just like learn to do that can be very like, it's not loaded and it's not dangerous, but like, I don't know if you feel this way. We have, I live in a row home, and you can hear most of what is happening in the house from everywhere in the house. Yeah. Um. So, like, if I'm in a on a different floor, and Laura comes home, like, I can kind of tell a mood or tell if thing is if a thing is amiss if routine sounds don't happen, right? Or like, it, should I perk up and like be emotionally available or something? Kind of based yeah. on the on how she's moving through the space. And that's yeah. a thing that you do in in a cohabitation relationship or in a marriage. And I think what drives people or what draws people to books like this are like that relationship because it's a it's a heightened version of a relationship a lot of people identify with, even well, if like, the prose if is lacking, right? Yeah, and if you're in a in a marriage yourself or in a cohabitation situation yourself, I think it helps to make to, that work. Yeah, like it, it has that in there, so you can say, "Well, what if, what if this thing that I have with with this person, but twisted in a in a way that yeah. makes me that creeps me out a little bit." Take the familiar and make it creepy or dangerous or whatever it might be. Yeah. Sure. So, what is the like plot of the of or just like the big picture plot of like the present day stuff? Because different reviews are like man it's a gripping page turner and then i saw the i think it was a, a review on kirkus reviews that was like clever uh good like characters and kind of plotty plotty p-l-o-d-d-y plotting so like what is plotty paris plotting. plotty plotting what is paris up this to? plotty plot makes me want to plot <laughs> God, i love the tv show the critic um so so millie as i as i said who is grace's younger sister with downs is going to be graduating from this school in a few months and she's going to come to live with jack and grace and jack is told during his villain monologue to grace (laughs) he told her the reason i picked you is you know beyond you being you know, a little easier to isolate and beyond you being a little older and already sort of insecure in your romantic life. You also have this sister 
and she is going to move in and I am going to torment her until she dies. Oh, God. Yeah. So that is. And so Grace's, I mean, her, her entire arc in the in the present section is how do I outsmart this guy and get away from him? OK, because he set up all these elaborate scenarios where anytime she gets away and is able to talk to anybody like workers at a hotel or people at a party or something. He is poised to sweep to, to swoop in and say, Oh honey, you should have taken your medication, like whatever. It, it's a very, in this era where the fact that women are not believed when they bring up stuff about like emotional abuse and sexual assault, like it does ring exaggerated, but true. You yep. know? Yep. Yep. Um, and and so her her conundrum is he seems to have me thoroughly boxed in. My parents moved back to, you know, where they came from in New Zealand from England because Jack gave them an out like Millie has a place to be. Their older daughter is married and, and has somebody like they are freed of of obligation and can go do this thing that they wanted to do you know, for their, for their adult lives is go back to New Zealand. So they're out of the picture. Um, the only way to contact Grace, like she doesn't have a phone, her email address is his email address because they don't, as they explain to people, they don't have secrets from each other, but really obviously it's a way for him to gate her communication and, and monitor it. Oh, and that's, and make, oh. and make sure that she slowly drifts apart from any friends she did have in the, in the world. That's a real manipulator thing to like disguise a, a, an abusive behavior as a positive of the relationship yeah, of like, right. Oh, we just love each other so much. We're always together. Yeah. Okay. Um, the ultimate. Okay. So he, he is undone. Okay. Um, and it's through this, I don't know, Millie is honestly the, the like, cleverest, most clear-eyed character okay. in the entire book. Because Grace, I don't know, you give her one second where in public Jack is, like, comforting her or something. And she's like, oh, and just for a moment I thought about how it could be. And it's like, no, stab him in the neck with a pencil. Like, what do you... Yeah, <laughs> like, you yeah. She seems too eager to... And I, you know... this. As understandable as a reaction as that kind of is from from a certain point of view, like by the time a dude like locks you in the basement for 18 hours in the dark and he kills your puppy by locking her in the basement and dehydrating her and then makes you bury her in the backyard. Like by the time a dude does that, I think you're past the point where you try and talk yourself into it being fine. I don't know, but she exists in this state of uncertainty and almost compliance. Like she, she rebels in small ways, but she doesn't have a game. Like she just doesn't see an out. And then Millie who has told her, you know, her caretaker slash teacher at the school, Hey, I'm having trouble sleeping. Can you give me, some some pills to help me sleep is not taking them is stockpiling them when Jack and Grace come to see Millie as they do sometimes because you know the the illusion of normalcy is is key to Jack's sort of thing like not yes. only 
is that a way for him to get what he wants? But he also sort of gets off on on saying things that Grace will interpret as a as a threat or a reference to yes. bad stuff that everybody else will view as mundane. Well, and that's key to keeping that cycle of abuse going because then she doesn't feel like she has an out because literally everyone else in the world doesn't hear the words the same way that she does. Right. And so she'll never be able to leave and she'll always be tricked into thinking, what if it could get better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Millie, who's who at their wedding, Jack pushed her down the stairs because he didn't want her to be their bridesmaid, like in their wedding pictures, because it would ruin the perfectness. But nobody caught that except for her, except like it, for Millie. Like it was an act, quote unquote, accident at the wedding. Like because she did. F- yeah, it was an accident that she fell. Okay, but Millie knows it was Jack. Not, sure. And Grace is like, listen, you can't tell anybody or else this guy is going to seriously, he he is horrible and he will do all kinds of stuff for us. You can't, to us, you can't tell anybody. I'm trying to figure it out. Just hold tight. Okay. Um, so like Millie is fully aware that Jack's a bad guy. So Millie is, has asked for these sleeping pills, um, is not actually taking them at a lunch goes gets into the bathroom with grace she says to to jack normally jack would would chaperone them but millie says you know I'm ha- i have my period basically like Whoa. i need my sister to come into the bathroom with okay me because i have my period and jack is like ugh, fine um because that's gross ugh. Mm. you know when ugh, periods uh so they go into the bathroom <laughs> I love your and millie jokes. and millie says I've got I've been stockpiling these sleeping pills. Give them to Jack and murder him. Whoa. Like kill the bad man, basically. Whoa. Um and so gives Grace the out that Grace herself was not able to secure. Um and Grace is like her her biggest way of fighting back is sort of making plans where other people can hear them. And so Jack either has to cancel them and explain himself or follow through with it and act like everything is fine. And so Grace in her cleverest move throughout the thing manages to commit like Millie and Millie's teacher and like Esther and Diane and some other friends to like all come over to the house at the same time for this birthday party. And at a previous like dinner party while, while Jack is doing his abusive you know, double entendre thing. He's talking about, Oh, Millie's going to come live with us and it's going to be so great. And she's just going to love her red bedroom because the basement room, which is also covered in vivid paintings of the faces of abuse victims. Whoa. Jack made grace paint because he is a lawyer who represents, you know, domestic abuse victims. Oh my God. Okay. That's part of his whole, like his whole facade is, Oh, this, this, perfect man who's who stands up for women is actually a a big abuser jerk um anyway so it's a it's a red basement room covered in the covered in paintings of beat up women and jack is just saying in public to play with grace oh millie's gonna come she's gonna love her red bedroom but millie has a yellow bedroom and the yellow bedroom actually exists in like and um Millie sees it and Millie's like teacher sees it. And at this party, you know, they're, they're talking about 
how Millie's going to come. She's going to love her yellow bedroom. And Esther, who has been suspicious from the jump of just how perfect their Ooh, life is. It's like, okay. wait, didn't you say, you say it was a red bedroom? And Jack's like, no, I never said that. And Esther's like, well, you did say it, though, like two or three times and you're really specific about it. And Jack was like, no, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, So keep that in your mind. Okay. Okay. I'm Grace. eager to see this man be undone. I'm right. very eager. Yeah, and that's the only, that's the reason the book works. Is like okay. it's, I'm not gonna say it was my favorite thing I've ever read. Like the prose is kind of plotty sometimes. And the thing I think the thing that undoes it the most for me is there just were not scenes that like specific scenes that are gonna stick with me. Sure. You know, like yeah. I'd think pretty regularly of like the scene in it where where the guy like kills himself in the bathtub or like I, we've both read a bunch of stuff that we where don't we just forget. think about those yep. scenes and we yep. talk about them all the time there's no specific thing in this book that is like that it is just a series of events that happens which is you know those those are the basic requirements for a story so good job <laughs> but it's lacking a thing to like put it over the top for me yeah mm-hmm. um anyway grace he so Jack happens to be working on this difficult case where the guy who he's you know who he's trying to prosecute is well I guess the the husband of the woman he's defending he wouldn't be a prosecutor he would yep. be the defender in that case um is really well lawyered and it seems like the woman maybe is not is not being totally on the level with him about everything and it looks like he might lose and he's never lost a case oh but this case is going bad for him and Grace sort of sees her opportunity. Like she has the pills that she managed to sneak back into the house and she is just like manipulating Jack and saying into, into basically coming up with two whiskeys, one for each of them and they can drink whiskey. And Grace is just like, Oh, I'm so, I'm so bored i'm going out of my mind up here in this room when they want to talk to just bring whiskeys and you can tell me how work is going and blah 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 and so she manages to get pills into his drink and then he is he is enraged and he's chasing her and she manages to get him into that basement room which does not open from the inside and locks him in there and then you know there there was a trip to thailand like thailand was where they went for their honeymoon it's where he dumped all that info on her in the first place like it's sort of the site where she found out that he was a monster and they were going to go back to thailand for like one last trip because it's implied that he can like pay money to to find people who will like suffer in front of him oh where like no like far away from where the the Uh. english legal community and all the people who know him as a perfect person would be able to see what he's doing so they had like one last thailand trip planned before millie would move in and so grace has to you know make a hard move or else you know the jig is up yep and she because esther really pointedly and specifically said her full phone number at an earlier like meeting that they had all been to Grace manages to call Esther and like plays it up and is like, Oh, Jack is just so miserable that he lost. And I'm just going to go to Thailand ahead of, ahead of him. And so she's kind of doing some of the same manipulation that Jack is doing is just like 
leaving distressed voicemails like, oh, hey, where are you? When are you going to be here? Like befriending another couple in this hotel and making a big deal about her husband, Jack Angel, who's a big time lawyer and he's going to come and meet me later and, and, you know, doing the same with hotel employees. And so by the time it's been like a week and people finally know that he's missing and his body is finally found in that basement. Like she's kind of established a paper trail. Wow. And then the book ends with Esther picking her up. Like she goes back from Thailand to England. She has to talk to the, to the police and Esther like picks her up from the airport and is like, Hey, we're going to go get coffee real quick. Okay. Like you and me, we're going to go stop for coffee. And then Esther does this elaborate thing where like, if the police were going to ask you this thing, I mean, it, it would just be like the only thing that would make sense is if you had done X and X and X. And Grace is like, yeah, it, it would make sense if I had done those things. And the book ends with with because Grace is suspected that Esther knew something was up, but had no real way of, of communicating with her for sure. And the book ends with Grace being like, how did you know? And Esther is like, what color is Millie's bedroom? Whoa. And, and Grace is like, the the real bedroom was the red one. And so that's why Esther is cool with covering up a murder. Be- yeah. Be- okay. <laughs> oh, Which gosh. Is like fine. And I kind of wish the book had kept going because after that, it becomes like Big Little Lies or something. Yeah. And it's just women <laughs> lying to the cops about how a bad man died yeah (laughs) so so i wanted a little bit more of that but that was the end of the book okay huh so it's a psychological thriller i guess yeah so i think we've kind of covered what didn't and didn't work for you like to me this checks out with my vibe from the reviews that it feels like a pretty by the numbers execution of an of a relationship that folks are going to be interested to read about or something right like it is yeah. like the elevator pitch it it is its elevator pitch and that's pretty pretty much it i think there there's a version of this that would be more memorable um i feel like i'm trying to think of of an example of some i feel like tana french even though i haven't read all of her stuff but i feel like she lives in in a similar space where it's like people and the relationships between mm-hmm. those people I've and, seen comparisons but, to and also and also like crime like I I think sure. that she is a little bit better at doing a version of this thing okay that I've... sticks with you for a little bit longer cuz that's my that's my main criticism is I had I had fun I enjoyed it I had problems with it and probably I'm not going to think about it that much again after this yeah, like that's yeah. that's where I am yeah I've seen comparisons to Jillian Flynn also like Sure, sure, sure. But but similarly like those there was a there was a potential movie deal for this book that I found a Hollywood Reporter article about from 2017. I had not I did not recognize any of the names that were working on the film. Um not to say that that means anything necessarily, but it mostly means that like I don't know what the likelihood of it ever getting made getting made is. And then nine months ago in a Goodreads Q&A, uh, Paris was like, with regard to the film, I am still waiting for news. I'm afraid <laughs> I don't have any say in either the script or the casting. That's my understanding of how that thing goes is you kind of you sell the film rights to it and then you are dependent on their good graces to like keep you creatively Correct. involved. I don't know. Like I, I think that probably <laughs> bigger names have an ability to command a little bit more, but... <laughs> 
yeah, if you're if you're like a first time author or a newish author, probably you don't have a lot of leverage, and you are just gonna take the take the check and hope for the best. Which yeah. I'm not. I am not deriding like no, at all. I would no. absolutely do that. If people <laughs> asked us for the movie rights to overdue, <laughs> I'd be like, well, we can keep doing the thing that we do, right? And they would be like, sure, fine. And I would be like, money, please, like, give me, oh, give me, man, money, please. If anyone out there has ideas on what the movie would be you can send them to us but they become our property immediately as soon as you send it just so you know as soon yeah. as you send and the we're treatment not, to us and we're not paying yeah we're yeah we're not paying you um i do want to bring up just briefly so i did some research i found some writing by sarah kanake k-a-n-a-k-e i tried to find her pronouncing her own name in an interview somewhere i literally couldn't people just kept calling her sarah in every conversation <laughs> i found um as long as we do our best, yep. I think. And she has a couple articles out there that were like, in addition to, I guess, her PhD dissertation that is floating around academia in Australia, I suppose, and other places, um, about portrayals of Down syndrome in fiction. Uh, her brother, Charlie, has Down syndrome, and she, in one Sydney Morning Herald article, tells a story about him like speaking up at a literary conference or some sort of like comedy panel or something and being like, why are there no characters with downs or characters who are not neurotypical? Like, sure. Why does that not happen? And she recounts kind of being angry with him. Cause she's like, this is the world I'm trying to get in. Why did you, you know, cause such a stir? Um, and the morning Herald article is really good. Cause it like is her kind of grappling with that. But she puts stories like this into two kind of categories one is, you know, books and stories that just have a Down syndrome character in them. Just it's incidental. It's not uh, integral to the plot. There's just someone in the universe that happens to have Down syndrome, um, which doesn't sound like that's what this book is. And I mean, then, that is exactly what this book is. Well, but but the the necessities of Grace caring for her are like necessary for the plot to work though right they are but you could have done that in some other way i mean the whole thing is one okay, big that's a good point one big house of contrivance cards okay. that that if you shake one too much the whole thing comes tumbling down like that i i actually in the q a in the back of the book i wish that paris had talked more about that specific decision because everything Everything she talks about is is about that dynamic between Jack and Grace, but not the yeah the very specific decision she made about the third biggest character in the book. And I I kind of want to know like why like I don't I have nothing to say about the quality of the portrayal. Sure, 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 sure. Both of of Millie herself and how other characters like think of her. I feel like the way that the way that grace feels about her and the way that parents her parents feel about her kind of spans a, a spectrum of what yeah, yeah. you know realistic responses are but beyond that you know I, I i have nothing to say and i wish she had i wish she had talked about it with a little bit more specificity sure so the other category which kanake like has said she calls quote unquote the down syndrome novel with right. everything in caps um, she says, regularly presents the character with Down syndrome as a problem within the narrative that the protagonist must learn to overcome. This movement towards acceptance is the character arc, narrative problem, and eventually the plot, um, which does like she is 
and then like the rest of her writing is kind of unpacking that as both useful and not helpful in terms of representation like it is if we have stories where people like learn to to you know better accept the non-neurotypical people in their lives like that's not that's a net good right but it doesn't help with uh othering of folks which can be a problem right mm-hmm. um so that i just thought it was interesting that like she Kanaki then went on to write a novel called Sing Fox to me about like from the perspective of a boy with downs um, and that is a very rare thing so like sure it is, it is usually a character in this type of situation where they are someone who needs care and then that is leveraged for the rest of the plot but it was interesting that you immediately reacted that it is not that it actually feels incidental like it could be anyone who needed care Right. Yeah. For any and I reason. think that that actually is is probably a point in its favor is like Millie Millie has downs. She has needs like anybody has needs. Yep. And Grace, you know, occasionally thinks, you know, in in some ways things would be easier if if she didn't have downs, which I think is you know, just the the world is built around neurotypical people. So, of course, there would be some things that would be easier. But Millie is, you know, the, her having downs is never, like, portrayed as some specific problem that, like, Grace yeah, complains okay. about all the time. Just, like, Mill- Millie is a person. She has needs. Those needs are accepted by her sister. Her sister's trying to do the best that she can by Millie and wants to and the depth of her like feeling for her sister were I, I think would, would be similar, like regardless of, of whether Millie were, were neurotypical or not. Like it, it does Millie is, is helpless in the sense that her coming to live with Jack and Grace is kind of an inevitability or is sure. presented as one, but also she, is the linchpin to like figuring the whole thing out. Not, not just like passively, but in giving grace the pills, like she's the reason why stuff moves. Grace can, can escape in the first place. So I don't know. It's, it's it's an interesting portrayal. I can't speak to its accuracy, but it felt, it didn't feel like overly exploitative or, or like, sure. Or gratuitous or anything like that. So yeah. yeah, that's that's what I have to say about it. It's also worth as you were talking to like she's what fifteen years her junior or or something like that. If yeah, not more. yeah, something like that. So yeah. even that is a situation that has cropped up in stories like this before, where it's like a younger sister or a younger cousin or a younger whatever like shows up and that kind of complicates things, and then the abuser has to kind of be reckoned with in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, yeah, if anybody wants to learn more about that, they should seek out uh, Sarah Kanake's work because I fell down a, a bit of a rabbit hole reading her stuff earlier today. Um, I think that's all we got, Andrew. Yeah, that's what I got. Cool, 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 cool. Um, if you want to email us your ideas for an overdue movie, keep in mind that the second you do, <laughs> it becomes our property. Uh, you can send it to overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, if you write a full script treatment... Um, there is a P.O. box on our website. Um, God, go find it. Check that. Yeah. It's, When's the last time you checked it? Um, pretty recently. I get a no- I get notices when folks like actually send us packages. So that's oh. usually when I go. So you never um, tell me about it. So like I assume that it's not, that's 
It's it's a you lot just keep of it for yourself. It's a lot of Comcast advertisements. <laughs> oh, good, <laughs> good. Thanks everyone. For yeah, the Comcast advertisement. Um, but you can do that. Go to our website. Uh, Andrew will tell you about that in a second. You can hit us up on social media at facebook.com slash overdue pod or twitter.com slash overdue pod. Thanks to folks reaching out in the past week. Norbell, Rebecca, Jennifer, Kelsey, Jacob, Maria, Miranda, Kelly, Mitzi, Tom, Gloria, Nikki, and many more. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show. Where should they go? They should go to overduepodcast.com. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts and Google Play and our RSS feed. We're also available on Spotify and Stitcher and probably some other services that we are not in control of. <laughs> um, we've got links to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash overduepod. And uh, also a new listener page you can use to point people to episodes of the show that we like. Um I forgot to thank folks who gave us iTunes reviews since the month of July started. Apple Podcasts. It's oh, called excuse Apple me. Podcasts. Apple Podcast reviews. Uh, thanks, Mistress J, Camelia Brianne, Olivia LM, Abek One, and Amelia Belia, Amelia Bedelia Two Four Six Zero One, which is the best <laughs> name I've heard in a long time. <laughs> Someone locked Amelia Bedelia up in French prison for taking things too literally, and I love it. <laughs> Um, Andrew, we don't know what we're doing next week, right? Yeah, so we're recording this on July 14th. Uh, Susanna's due date is July 21st. So we are, you know, babies don't come on time, really. But it could be tomorrow. It could be two or three weeks from now still. So we're just, we're not sure what is happening. We do have some episodes recorded already, and we're going to record a couple more this week, I think. But uh yeah, once once the baby is here, we will be able to put up a more a, you know like a firmer schedule, and then we'll figure stuff out from there. Yep, and we will we will have like you know at least four or five episodes to announce right away, so you'll have information on that, or just keep an eye on our feeds for what's coming next if the baby's not here yet, because yeah. then we're just gonna be making stuff up. Yeah, how you feeling, Andrew? Right. Uh, yeah. Uh. Those are the emotions as I know them. Somebody asked me this earlier this week and you, and I said, you know how when someone pokes you in the same place over and over again, you just start to feel kind of numb. Yeah. And that's whatever the like anxiety receptors in my brain are, oh, they're sure. just kind of numb from overstimulus at this point. All right. <laughs> so it's it's a combination of that and waiting and uncertainty and and we're just like ready, but not. It's it's a weird place to be. Yeah, but you'll do it. It'll be great. We sure will. It'll happen when it happens. It sure will. Okay. It sure will. It sure will. And that's me. That's me. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We'll be back sometime with something. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.